Hey, this is the Happen to Your Career podcast, episode 111. That is a lot of ones. I would rather live in a crappy house than have a crappy job. If I could get a good job that fits my criteria of all these things, I still have to have flexibility and I have to have, uh, I have, to have the ability to ski, to travel, to be with my family and all, all these things. Um, if I can find a good job that maybe allowed me to get a nicer house, <clears throat> that would be a good trade. But it would be better to stay in a crappy house than to get a crappy job so I could have a good house. This has happened to your career. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and then make it happen. Whether you're looking to do your own thing or find your dream job, you've come to the right place. I'm Scott Barlow. Hey, this is Scott Barlow, and you are listening to Happen to Your Career. This is the show that helps you figure out work that fits you by exploring other stories. And we get we get to bring on experts like Jeff Goins, who was the best-selling author of was he is the best-selling author. In fact, still the art of work. Or we also get to talk to people that have pretty amazing life stories, like Crystal Marsh. She's a divorce lawyer who recently realized that what she really should be doing was a career coach, and. Uh, she shared some amazing advice with us on a, on a past episode, so you can go back and listen to that. And, and also people just like you that have gone from where they are to what they really want to be doing. And they're people just like our next guest, Clark Vandeventer. In my conversation, when you listen to it with Clark, you're going to hear why the approach that most people take in their lives and, and lifestyles and, and how they build uh, build their life around their salaries. It's it's actually backwards, completely backwards. And you're also going to learn a little bit about we get we get deep into the idea of being location independent. And if that's ever appealed to you in any way, or you're just fascinated to figure out if it's right for you or not, you'll love this interview. Clark describes his family's patchwork income method, and it allows them to live freedom uh, on their terms. And ultimately, you know, that's that's what we spend a lot of time talking about on this show, what, what freedom actually looks like for you is it's different for everybody. But you're going to hear a you're going to hear a, a decidedly different version on it, and I think you're going to love it. You're also going to get Clark's tips. Uh, this was uh, selfishly, I, I wanted to pump him for some tips on traveling the world with kids because that's something that we've got coming up. Without any any further ado, uh, let me introduce you to a, a blogger, a major gifts fundraiser. He's also been a merchant services rep and even a ski bum. He and his family actually live a very location-independent lifestyle and paying for it with that patchwork income that we talked about. But from running for Congress to having his family move into his in-law's garage, he's been he's been freed from that whole fear of failure that most of the rest of us really, really have very prevalent in our lives. And he's also the author of Unworking, Exit the Rat Race, Live Like a Millionaire, and Be Happy Now. Take a listen to my conversation with Clark. Clark, I am way excited to have you have you on here, get a chance to talk to you, and and learn a little bit more about you. Welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, 
I started reading your book and, you know, I was telling you just before we, uh, just before we formally hit record and everything <laughs> like that, that I was really interested in diving into your, into your story and, you know, partially because I'm a sucker for good stories, but I, um, I am, I ran out of time before we got on here. Uh, but I got, I got sort of lost in the book. I thought that was uh, that was way cool. So kudos to you, first of all. And then second of all, I, I want to kick this thing off because I'm really, really curious what, um, what caused you to want to start the book with a letter to your kids? I'm fascinated well, by that. Yeah. Well, as I say, jumping off right into my book where I, I write the letter to my kids, there's a quote from um, Jean um, – I can never say his name right. French, French author. You, you had to that. choose that uh, <laughs> guy with that name. Yeah. But he said that you know he who jumps into the void or into the abyss – it was no explanation to those who stand by and watch. But my kids aren't just standing by and watching. The decisions that my wife and I have made about our life and how we're arranging our life and living our life, you know, they're not innocent bystanders. You know, the decisions that we make uh, directly affect them and impact them. So I, I actually think I do owe them an explanation. And um, as I say in that letter to my children at the beginning of the book, I really um, – I want to live intentionally and I want them to understand why we've made the decisions we've made about our life. And I think they deserve that because we do live differently than a lot of people. Uh, their life looks different than a lot of their friends. And we've given up some things that their friends just take for granted. And so, yeah, I think I do owe them an explanation. And then the benefit for everyone else is this is now an explanation that is available to the world, I guess. <laughs> That's what I loved about it. I, you know, I started it and I'm like, this is, this is such a, <laughs> this is such a great idea on so many different levels. And that was, that was the first thing I thought, you know, as I, before I started to get lost in the actual content itself well, of the letter. But. And, and then perhaps there's a little bit of, um, it takes the pressure I think off of myself as a writer Yeah. where what, okay, let's just say, because I poured my heart and soul into this book, of course. Yeah. And so let's just say that uh, I published it and uh, in a year we sold like 12 copies. <laughs> you know, like it, you would be so deflated, right? Because you would pour your heart and soul into this book. But because the primary audience for the book was my children, yeah, it totally changes it. No one, no one has to read it. As long as they read it when they come of age, that's – if they read it and they understand the explanation and they can appreciate it – then all the pressure's off me. Well, and now I've read part of it too. So there's, <laughs> you know, there's that. If, if they decide not to read it later on, at least there's that. <laughs> That's um, right. So, okay. So here's what we've done by, <laughs> by me jumping into the thick of it this way is now we've got people going like, who is this guy? And what is this book? <laughs> like <laughs> it sounds intriguing, but I don't even know what you're talking about. So yeah. let's, uh, let's fill in some of the gaps um, because you've, uh, you know, long before the book and long before anything else, you've got this great story that I keep alluding to and, and, uh, we'll eventually get to here. I'm just building up suspense, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, this, it sounds like this really started way back when, when you were, you know, when you were working, um, uh, what am well, I going to call it? I was, I was sort of a big deal. You were sort of a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> now you've crossed the line. Uh, now there's there too much. No. <laughs> uh, but, but seriously though, like this started way back when, when you were, when you were working and, 
uh, I'm going to call it a regular job, but uh, not not demeaning into any jobs. But you know, you sort of went through this this progression where you realized that this sort of life just wasn't for you at all. Yeah. So tell me about how how it led up to that. Well, I was I was the oldest 26 year old in the world. <laughs> um, I was the deputy director of the Reagan Ranch, President Reagan's home in Santa Barbara. It's, yeah. The ranch is being preserved uh, in the tradition of other presidential homes like George Washington's. Um, Mount Vernon or Thomas Jefferson's Monticello. And I rubbed shoulders, rubbed elbows with rich and famous and powerful people. Um, but I started to have this sick feeling that I wasn't where I was supposed to be. And I wasn't doing with my life what I really wanted to be doing. And this was a surprise for me because where I was when I was 26 years old was exactly where I envisioned myself being when I was 18 years old, you know, like I, I just yeah. blazed through college and I, I just did exactly what I wanted to do. And I got there and I'm like, I don't want to be here. And I remember, uh, actually flying back to my alma mater, uh, Indiana Wesleyan university for a trip. Um, and I, I was there for meetings, but what I really was interested in doing was just getting back together with old college friends, you know, who really knew me, who knew my heart. You know, we, we had traveled that road together because yeah. I, I wanted to I wanted to bounce this stuff off of them. And I wrote in my journal on that trip that I, I wrote, um, I have the growing feeling that I'm not supposed – I'm not where I'm supposed to be in my life, that I'm, I need to move on. And it, that, one of the prouder moments of my life is being able to read that now and go, I didn't, I didn't stay. Like it would make me sick to have written something what, that was eight years ago now and to be sitting in the same spot today. So I had the feeling that uh, something's not right. I'm not where I'm supposed to be in life. Yeah. And then I had the courage to actually act on that. And literally within a few months of writing those lines, I had quit my job. That is so very cool. Partially because, <laughs> partially because he didn't stay. Um, but then I, I'm, I'm really curious. So what happened in between that? You wrote those lines and then you, you had this realization after, you know, after a number of different things, talking to the, talking to those friends and, and whatever else. And then you ended up leaving. What, what happened in between there? Uh, in between. In between Le you wrote in between the, the realization and, and the actual and resignation letter. You, you mentioned right. the resignation letter in yeah. your book, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, very dramatic, you know. Yes, um, yes. Everyone should have a letter like that, you know, <laughs> um, where they lay it all out on the line. But, um, no, you know, we were actually, my wife and I were um, preparing to buy a business in Santa Barbara. And this was something that had evolved over time. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were really excited about it. Um, just this was really where we saw the future going. And um, the, I just can't communicate how excited we were. Yeah. Then, so I, um, we began kind of preparing to, to buy this business and to move forward with it. And I quit my job without um, knowing whether or not it was going to work out. In fact, a friend of mine, this was like, Two days before my resignation, he was in finance and I think understood before I did that the deal wasn't going to happen. And he called me and he said, Clark, I want to make sure, let, let, let's let say, I'm just going to tell you, 
that the deal you're working on is not going to go through, would you still quit your job? And I said, yes, because I knew I wasn't where I was supposed to be. Even if the thing that was getting me to leave was going to be taken from me, yeah. I knew I had to leave. So I quit. Um, over the next three or four months, I burned through all of my savings. And then as my friend, I think, knew long before, the deal we were working on did not happen. So now we had gone three or four months. I had run through all my money, uh, all my cash anyway. And uh, it was like, what's next? <laughs> so at that point, I actually leaned on my past experience and became a consultant. Um, and within a few months was, was making pretty good money um, and had a lot of flexibility. But this is right at the beginning of the Great Recession. Um, I started to lose clients. And then this makes total sense, right? My, uh, everything's falling apart. And I say, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cash out my retirement to have some money to live off of, and I'm going to run for Congress. <laughs> well, well, I think that's pretty much what anybody would do in that situation, right? right? I mean, it's it's like, the logical. <laughs> everybody's like finishing your sentence on here, and he's going to run for Congress. Like, <laughs> okay, so I know that you've probably been asked this about a thousand times, and you go a little bit into it in, in the book. I don't know that I've read all the places, but... Um, but what on earth was going through your, your mind, both uh, before and during and after? Uh, running for, for, for running for Congress. Like, how, how did you, what, what transgressed in order for you to get to, get to that point? It, you know, running, a lot of people had talked to me about running, had pushed me to run. Yeah. But I, I really didn't think my heart was in it. And the bit, one big question on my mind was, what if I lose? Like, what if I lose? Like, this would be bad, right? I don't know if I could if I could handle this. And then two things happened. One was, it, it was actually, there was a group of men in Santa Barbara uh, who asked me to come in and share my heart. And they prayed for me. And after they prayed for me, I, I looked up and I was like, I'm running. Like, there was something that happened. And from, from going to like not knowing all of a sudden, like, and, and you can't run for office if your heart's not 100% in it. No. All of a sudden I was like all in, you know, I was ready to run. And all of a sudden the like, what if I lose? Like, what if I lose? It was like, so what? <laughs> so what if I lose? I'm looking at photos, by the way, right now of, uh, <laughs> of, uh, for Congress 2010. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's a, one of my favorite poems is if by Rudyard Kipling, do you know the poem? I, I don't think I've oh, heard that. This is, it's such a fantastic poem. Maybe I have, and I just don't recognize it by the title, but there's a line in it. He says, if you can make a heap of all your winnings and risk it, on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. And that was, that's kind of where I came to like, okay, I'm going to take all my winnings. <laughs> you know, I'm going to put them on the table and if I lose, so what? And you lost. 
and I lost. Uh, I not only and what I didn't understand when I mounted my campaign for Congress, yeah, was that the great cost was not in cashing out my retirement, going down to no cash, no savings, nothing. What was it? Just I was going to live off of that. Yeah. The the greater um, cost to me and risk I was taking was becoming a full-time candidate for essentially a full year. And for a full year, I had no irons in the fire from a business standpoint and an income standpoint. And so when my campaign ended and I had spent my campaign into debt and I had lost, not only was I out of money, but I had no idea what was next. I had no, I, I didn't have that like project I had been nurturing and developing and was soon going to make money or come to fruition. There wasn't a I, jump off or a jump to. I had nothing. And so we were out of money and uh, had no idea what to do next. Uh, at the time, living in Santa Barbara, my monthly expenses, what I had to bring in just to pay the mortgage, insurance, car payments, you know, just the the basics. We're not talking about going out to a movie or, you know, anything. I had to bring in over $10,000 a month. Wow. So <laughs> what am I going to do? You know, I had, I had nothing. And, um, my wife and I were, we were, we were in a low spot and we would come home. We basically spend all day, all evening at her parents' house and we'd come home to put the kids to bed at night and we would just sit on the couch and our house was empty. Our cupboards were empty. And we were just like, what are we going to do? We couldn't pay our mortgage. And um, at that time, we made the decision to um, rent out our house and move into her parents' garage. Uh, so I was here I was now. I was 30 years old. Uh, I had two kids that were three and less than a year old, and I moved them into my in-laws' garage. Which sounds pretty ideal. So it, there's it, that. <laughs> 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 and, and, you know, it was, I mean, like, if you want me to paint a picture, I mean, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a nice garage necessarily. You know, it was detached from the house. Yeah. Tried to, you know, board up. Um, nooks and crannies that rats and rodents had used over the years to get access to the garage. And we, we did uh, put some drywall up to make a little room for our son who was three. Yeah. And then we, we basically made a great big closet next to our, um, our bed where we put a crib. Um, and so my daughter slept a couple of feet from me and, uh, it was, it was a hard time. Um, looking back, I, it's actually not as bad as it felt at the time. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Like what, you know, how do you think about that now? Because I understand how that could be extremely difficult at the yeah. time. I probably don't even know which level. Cause I haven't been through that exact, uh, that exact circumstance, but yeah. you know, and the thing is, is that I retreated from so many relationships at that time. Most people in Santa, most of my friends in Santa Barbara did not know I had even lived in the garage until long after we had moved out. Really? Because I, I really became a recluse. What, what was the cause for that? Was it a, um, like losing face situation for you at yeah. the time or shame, what was it? Shame, embarrassment. Um, 
I just felt like I was a total loser and that all the people who had told me I was crazy when I quit my job, uh, they were being proven right. And sadly, I think uh, I should have been more open with close friends uh-huh. than I was. Yeah. I just I couldn't do it. Um, one night, my wife said, because we would typically – uh, we'd put the kids to bed and maybe I'd be sitting out in the backyard and she'd maybe go into the house and watch TV with her parents or whatever. And she said, she was going into the house. She said, do you want to call a friend and get together with him? I, I said, who am I going to call? I, 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 who? Because I just, I was so embarrassed by what I felt like I had become that I retreated. Yeah. And we actually later moved from, Santa Barbara to Lake Tahoe, uh, where we live now. And one of the most refreshing things about moving to, to Lake Tahoe was no expectations. So in Santa Just Barbara, over a clean in Santa slate. Barbara, people, I would, I was, I hid from everyone. I hid, moved to Lake Tahoe. People would go, so what's your story? You know, who are you? Well, you know, I, <laughs> I lost everything. I was living in my in-laws garage and we moved to Tahoe because my wife's grandfather has a cabin up here that we can live in rent free for a while. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. just like this. I told everyone like exactly what had happened and it was refreshing. And I think maybe part of the healing process for me. Well, it seems like that would really be a side benefit. And I don't know. I think that there is, I think that there's something really powerful for getting a, a bit of a do over or even a perceived do over like in reality, like, I mean, it's not that much different. Like you're still, I mean, you're still in the same country. You're still in, I don't know. It's, it's a perception right. difference Yeah, more so than anything else. But I think that there's a lot of value in that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I've been, I've now uh, gone back to Santa Barbara and rekindled some yeah. of those relationships. Yeah. But, um, it, but it's, it's easy to go back where I'm at now, which is in a position of relative success with a new, uh, new lifestyle at the time, I, I, what I was going through was transformative, but it was difficult to express. I, I didn't quite know how to express it because what we did really, um, when we moved into the garage, we spent about six months in the garage and about six months, uh, in the cabin. What we did that year we basically rethought our entire life. We, you know, we came, we, we asked every question and we came up with new answers to everything in terms of how we wanted to design our life, what we wanted our life to look like, what was important to us. And, um, it, it, that year is something that most people, um, never get in America. We really have no, tradition of stepping back <laughs> no you know no. in europe in europe it's quite quite common for people to take a gap year you know they get into their their mid-30s or whatever and they say hey you know i'm going to take a year off from work to make sure i'm doing what i really want to do we don't do that in america if you lose your job in america you're taught to put your head down and get a new job as quickly as possible um, what my in-laws truly gave me was not a roof over my head. What they gave me was time. Your gap year. They gave me my gap year. So in, if, 
if I didn't have uh, in-laws who said, yeah, Clark, come, come live with us, I just have to take whatever job I can get just to provide for my family. But because they gave me time, I could ask questions and I could really um, say, okay, this is what I want life to look like. Now, how do I design my way, design my life that way instead of just, I've got to get a job. So what were some of those things that, that you and your wife were having conversations at the time? And, and me and my wife, Alyssa, have gone through lots and lots of very, very similar conversation over the last 10 years. Um, we didn't get a gap year, though. So I'm really curious, like, what, what were some of the things that you guys were talking about at the, at the time? I, I remember being in the garage. Yeah. The, the one thing that I loved was the time with my family. And I thought, you know, if I like, if I go back to the grind, cause I, I quit my job, um, two, a month and a half after my first son was born. Mm-hmm. So remember that, <laughs> you know, like when, when my, uh, son was born and I quit, you know, that big monumental moment where I'm quitting my job, I had a six week old baby, you know, which is like the perfect time. <laughs> hey, have, so I got to ask you this then not to dovetail into another yeah. question. Cause I want to come back to this, but almost everybody who I meet who has, um, pretty, um, I'm going to call it intense stories or extreme type stories. It almost always seems to follow like <laughs> brand new born son or daughter yeah. or something along yeah. those lines. And, and that's, you know, really similar for my wife and I too. Like we made two moves immediately after she gave birth, and, <laughs> you know, and, I remember the night before I was going to quit my job, I said, uh, I was talking with my wife and I was like, I don't know, like, should I do it? Like, should I go through with this? My, my boss was flying in from Washington DC the next day and I was going to have dinner with him that night. And I'm like, should I do this? And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, like, what if we can't make the money that we need to make? She's like, if it's the money quit. She said, if there's some other reason you're doubting yourself or you're rethinking this, yeah, maybe you should take some time to, to reconsider. But if it's the money, quit. And that's a powerful moment, you know, especially with a, a six-week-old baby in the next room. But um, in the garage, I enjoyed the time with my family. And I thought, you know what? Uh, all these – basically since my son was born, I haven't, I haven't gone – to a nine to five job, you know, I, I, five or six days a week, I've been present in my son's life growing up and in my daughter's uh, life up to this point. And if I go get a job, I'm not going to be able to be present to the extent that I have been over the past three years. And I, at that time I was like, I've got to figure out a way to be a full-time dad and a full-time breadwinner. I don't want to go back to the grind. But remember, I was still living in the garage. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> and, and I got a, well, it was crazy. And one day I got three, uh, three people contacting me on my phone or email for some pretty significant jobs. And each of them were exciting. It was, I mean, I was like, wow, this would be awesome. But the, it was all going back to the grind, you know, and uh, but look, I was just looking for an escape hatch, you know, even though this idea of lifestyle design and trying to be a full-time breadwinner and a full-time dad, it sounded great, but I was broke. I had like 33 cents in my checking account, you know? So when 
these three people contacted me about some pretty exciting jobs. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. But um, my wife was kind of like hesitant about all three of these things. Like, do you really want to do that? Do you really want to go back to the grind? You know, um, look at the life we're trying to build here. And But for whatever reason, all three of those jobs just disappeared. Huh. Like, it, it just never, like, nothing happened. And that was like a wake-up call. And I realized that any job I got, someone else would own my future. And I wanted to build my own life where I was in charge. And uh, so my wife and I really began uh, building what we now call our, our patchwork income, where we have several patches of income from lots of different projects and businesses that we are involved in. And basically the idea is if diversification for like retirement income is such a good idea, uh, why, why not bring that same idea to income throughout all of life? So if I have a job and 100% or the vast majority of my income comes from an employer, like where's the security in that? Like my employer could take that job for me tomorrow and I'm left high and dry. But if I have six or seven or ten patches of income, if I lost any one of those, it may hurt. If I lost one of the bigger ones, it would hurt, but I wouldn't be destitute. You know, I could lean on the other patches um, and uh, live off the other patches while I, you know, replace the one I had just lost. Yeah. Uh, and so patchwork income for us has become uh, the way that we're able to um, you know, design our life the way that we want to live it and, um, know that we, we feel like we have greater financial security now than we ever did when we had jobs. Hey, HTYCers. If you've been struggling to figure out work that fits you, then join our eight day free mini course. All you have to do is text HTYC to 38470. That's HTYC to 38470 or simply visit figureitout.co. That's figureitout.co. See you there. So let's really quick for um, all the HTYCers listening, let's let's talk about lifestyle design for just a second because we don't use that term on this show a lot. And we jokingly behind the, behind the scenes that happened to your career, we kind of uh, say we are lifestyle design for people that have never heard of lifestyle design <laughs> to some degree, but you know, what is, what is that, what does that term sort of mean to you? Well, I think that what most people do is they, uh, they look for the highest paying job possible and then they buy a life commiserate to their income. So it's like, okay, what's the best job I can get? What's the highest paying job I can get? And they get it, and then they have to go to work and do all the things in that job. And then with whatever time they have left and all the money they make, they, um, they buy, buy life. You know, they buy a house, they buy cars, they buy experiences, you know, all those things. But lifestyle design is what do I want life to look like? What do I want my time to look like, my days to look like. And then, uh, okay, that's what I want to do. Now, how do I make enough money to have that life? So for me, uh, living in Lake Tahoe, one of my goals, um, well, my goal is to ski uh, roughly 60 days a year. Uh, I want to be able to travel really uh, 
freely. You know, if I want to travel um, in Central America for six weeks like we did last year, or if I want to travel uh, to Thailand for three months like we did the year before that, like I, I want to be able to do those things. So how much do you want to pay me? You're offering me a job. How much do you want to pay me? Do you want to pay me $100,000 a year, $500,000 a year, a million dollars a year? It doesn't matter how much money you're going to pay me because that money, does. if that job requires me to be present in a physical location, you know, 50 weeks out of the year, a million dollars does not help me accomplish my goal in life. It doesn't fit what you're actually after. Regardless of the regardless of the income, provided that income is attached to other things that you're not looking for, is what I'm taking from that. Right. So if I if my goal is to basically be able to ski, to be able to travel, to be able to be present with my family, uh, to work from home, all all these things, it it doesn't matter how much money you're going to pay me if the the job that you're giving me requires me to be you know uh, present somewhere other than where I want to be. So lifestyle design is what do I want my life to look like? And then how do I get the money to fund that? So really, um, I sort of think about that, that process that you're describing is really just taking what everyone conventionally does and literally turning it upside down and starting with, uh, I mean, I hate the cliche of let's start with the end in mind. It sounds really nice and everything, but what does that actually mean, right? right? But that's really what you're describing is, look, let's figure out what you want and then let's just figure out what it takes to do what you want. Right. And then go do that. And and um, I I want, uh, I'm not like living a Spartan life I uh, and I have financial goals and things I want to accomplish and I'd like to make more money. But the important thing is, is money on my terms, not money on someone else's terms. So what does, what does that mean to you then? Well, it's money that I'm able to make without sacrificing the life that I've built. So I'm, and I'm really proud of how far we've come, you know, financially, um, in the, the really the three or four past years since we sort of figured all this out. You know, when we were in um, Central America, this is three years ago, uh, we, we literally ran out of money in Central America and did not, we were leaving <laughs> and we did not have enough money to pay our exit fees to leave Honduras. Our flight was boarding and we, I'm not, we had no credit, we had no credit available on credit cards. We didn't have enough cash. We, had, we did not have enough money to pay our exit fees. Our flight was boarding. And I finally turned around to the crowd and I held up my iPhone and I said, does anyone want to buy my iPhone? <laughs> and people realized what was happening and literally people just came up to us and started giving us money. Now, and, and so it was the generosity of these strangers who we'll never see again yeah. who got us out of Honduras. Wow. Now – now there's part of me like on that plane, I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, am I, what, what kind of parent am I, <laughs> you know, like who, who travels in foreign countries without a little more financial latitude for moments like this, you know, now I will say I was really, I'm still really proud that, uh, we were able to pull off what was then a six week trip in Central America. That was 20, uh, 2012. And, 
um, we what, when we did that at six weeks in Central America, we could have never done that in 2010. Right after I lost my congressional bids, we'd yeah we'd come a long way. Now, um, when my when we were in Thailand for three months in 2014, my daughter got sick and was actually in the hospital in Chiang Mai and spent 48 hours in the hospital. And I remember thinking at the time, I'm really happy that we've made enough progress financially that I'm not stressed out, that I know that we're okay, we can pay the hospital bill, whatever it is, that's fine. So I'm still, it's not like I've sworn off money or um, trying to have financial success, but the important thing is, is doing it on my terms. And I'm really proud it's one thing I'm really proud of. My wife and I have been able to come as far as we've come. And not that we're, you know, um, we're, we're not where we want to be, but we're further along than we were two years ago or four years ago. And we've done it on our terms. That's what lifestyle design is all about. It kind of occurs to me as I'm listening to tell you tell your story um, cause you make a point in towards the beginning of the book, I can't remember exactly where it's at, but it really resonated with me, um, just because it's a similar experience to, uh, uh, mine and Alyssa's and you talk about, um, living paycheck to paycheck and, you know, having, having worked with a lot of people that are in that circumstances or in those circumstances, um, it's like 64. Four percent of the population, or something like that, couldn't produce, uh, you know, a thousand dollars or something without going into into debt to do mm-hmm. it. Um, which basically <laughs> means they're living paycheck to paycheck right. for the most part, right? Right. And like, if I if I think about what you're talking about when you're there in Central America, when you guys couldn't couldn't leave Honduras, I think you said Honduras, right? Yeah. Like you're still kind of in that in that same spot, but at least you're doing something that you really actually want to be doing. It's like the exact same situation, right. only you're doing what you want to be doing. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of funny because we don't think about like, is one being the equivalent of the other? And it really truly is only save the exception that it, you know, one's what you want to be doing or and other one causes you to feel stuck. Exactly. Okay. So maybe you're almost stuck in Honduras and I can make that argument, but you get what I'm saying, right? So, right. Exactly. So, um, yeah, like I'm I'm broke and I'm in Honduras. Okay, even today, my wife and I have virtually no savings. Um, you know, we, but like most people I know have virtually no savings. You know what I mean? And um, so, like most people I know have virtually no savings, no real assets. That, you know, all my friends in Lake Tahoe they struggle for money, but they're just they're just here and they're. They're going to work, you know, and they're slaving away at jobs. Well, like, okay, I, I deal with the same financial struggles as you, but like, you know, we fed pink dolphins in Thailand and, you know, like we've done all these things. So I don't know how we're financially, we deal with the same struggles as a lot of people, but we're, we're at least out doing the things that we want to do. We're not stuck at home. We're not tied to a job. So where did, where does, I've got a, I've got like 72 questions I want to ask now, but, um, I think the one I want to ask first is from, from that standpoint, like, how do you, how do you see 
that, how do you see that changing or do you see that changing? Um, cause I, it sounds like we, we believe an awful lot of the same things. Um, it, like I, I'm assuming we could probably talk for hours and hours. Um, cause I've got that many questions for you, but, <laughs> um, but we don't have that kind of time. So what, what do, how do you see that changing in terms of like you mentioned, okay, so we don't have tons and tons of savings right now. We're better financially off than we were, you know, four years ago or whatever it is. But do you see that changing for you as you guys build up these uh, these patches in your in your patchwork income? Do you how, how do you how do you think about that? How do you see? How that? do you balance? How do you yeah. balance? Well, I'm really interested in that because it's um, like you and I clearly believe a lot of the same things, but we've taken two different, two completely different approaches on it. So I think this is so cool. I, I love diversity and approach. That's something that fascinates me. Well, uh, I turned. 35 this past year yeah. ran for Congress when I was 30. So yeah. I turned 35 and I thought, okay, like the day after my 30, 35th birthday, I thought I'm closer to 40 than I am 30. And I was like, you know, there's some things I, I want to accomplish financially by the time I'm 40. You know, I, I think that as we hit milestones in terms of age in our life, yes, like I think that um, you, you see some people really struggle with turning 40 or with turning 50 or yeah. with turning 60, whatever. And I think one of the reasons that people struggle with turning 40 is because um, life, they haven't accomplished in life what they thought they would. Like mm. I'm at 40 and I, this isn't where, where I thought I'd be. And that's what makes turning 40 difficult. And uh, or 50 or 60 or whatever it is. And so I primarily that re re regret would that fall under regret. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Um, but, or disappointment, yeah, you know, they're just, that's yeah. probably more accurate. And, um, so I thought, okay, I'm going to turn in five years, I'm going to turn 40. And so there, what are some financial milestones I want to have hit by the time I'm 40. So I have five years to do this. And, uh, I, I wrote down the goals and really thought about it. And what was amazing is that in that this first year now, I'll turn 36 in March, so I've almost gone one year. What's happened in this one year is that I, because I wrote down those goals and knew where I wanted to be in five years, I attracted to myself opportunities to achieve, to begin working towards achieving those goals. Or uh, maybe a better way to put it is, opportunities that came up that I may not have, have grasped. I, I, I probably, there's one, um, uh, example in particular yeah. where I probably wouldn't be in this position I'm in now if I hadn't said, you know, here's where I want to be in, in five years. But I saw this thing come up and I go, Oh wow, that's a way to accomplish this. You know, I can, if I do that, that helps me accomplish this bigger goal that I have. And so, um, so I, there what, is, what was that for you? Like, what's uh, the example that you're thinking yeah, of? I'm curious. Well, one of, one of my patches of income yeah. is, um, uh, I'm a consultant to nonprofit organizations, um, and raising money, uh, large contributions. Uh -huh. So that was, uh, largely what I did at the Reagan ranch, working with major philanthropist, and um, so I've been consulting now for eight years with nonprofit organizations. I took on a much uh, bigger role 
with one of the organizations that has been a long time client. And, um, it's a perfect, like looking at it now, I'm like, this is a perfect fit. This is, uh, exactly what I should be doing. But it, at the, when the idea first came up, I was like, I'm not sure I should do this. But then I was like, Oh, but I'm still location independent. I can still ski 60 days a year. I can still travel, uh, as I want, as I wish. Um, but this doing this work that I have to do, um, it is, it's more work than I've done for any one organization in a long time, but it's helping me achieve this goal that I have by the time I'm 40. If I don't have that big goal that I'm working towards by the time I'm 40, like I, I probably just, I let that slip through my fingers because I didn't need it in terms of uh, living day to day and those kinds of things. But I took it because it's helping me achieve a five-year goal. Uh, without that five-year goal, yeah, I'd probably never never go for it. Well, and here's what I really like about that, too. Um, so it seems like oh, you've almost got a few different things going on there. You've got that five-year goal, and then you've got these criteria that you've established. Here's what you know your wife and I want in your life, your lives. And... Um, then through those two lenses, it seems like you're really evaluating opportunities. And I, and I think that's something that you, you sort of have to have both to some degree. You have to have um, those couple of things, the, the where you want to go, the, uh, and the filter at the same time. You know, we call it a decision profile or a right. filter. But, um, but to really decide, do these opportunities, are they actually good to get me where I want to go versus is it just a a great opportunity or whatever you want to call it that? Because everything looks great. But for me, here's a good way to look at it. Yeah. I would rather live in a crappy house than have a crappy job. Yeah. So, um, priority. Now I want to, uh, if I could get a good job that fits my criteria of, all these things, I still have to have flexibility and I have to have, uh, I have to have the ability to ski, to travel, to be with my family and all, all these things. Um, if I can find a good job that maybe allowed me to get a nicer house, <clears throat> that would be a good trade. But it would be better to stay in a crappy house than to get a crappy job so I could have a good house. Why do you think most people aren't thinking about those different pieces of life in terms of opportunity costs. Cause that's what you make me think of when you, when you describe it that way, it's the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy, <laughs> and the man in the moon, isn't it? <laughs> Probably, <laughs> you know, we're just our, you know, our parents worked so hard, you know? Yeah. And so we, uh, we're, we're just modeling the behavior most people are just modeling the behavior of their parents. Huh. And I think that what happened, at least for me, and I think a, a lot of other people too, yeah, was the Great Recession became the Great Reorientation. All of a sudden, we saw that um, that what our parent our parents worked so hard, and they've gotten to the end and there's still so much doubt, you know, they, they, they're still, um, or they, they work 
20 years for a company and then get laid off, you know? And what we've realized, our generation, those of us who are, you know, mid thirties or people graduated from college today, we now understand that, um, we can't just, I, I think we had this sense. I can't, um, follow the playbook my parents did because the rules of the game have changed. And so I think a great many of us, the great recession became a great reorientation. And so there are people like you and me who are like, wait a second, is, uh, is this the way I want to live my life where I am, I, I just work, 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 work. Um, and I don't see my kids and then my kids end up modeling that same behavior and, and those kinds of things. Um, so yeah, the great, the great recession was the great reorientation in terms of rethinking life. That's interesting. I, thinking through it a little bit more and listening to your explanation on that. And so it's, it's interesting to me because that, uh, great recession and great reorientation, as you put it, um, just how much that can have so many years, how much of impact that can have so many years later on like how we behave towards our careers and jobs and work and everything else. It blows me away that it can have that much of an impact to this day where like people that had no experience with that whatsoever are reacting from that. Yeah. And I think that, um, like our view of work and employment is just so different than our parents. Yeah. Yeah. So my parents, um, if our parents' generation, they had the expectation that if I go to work and I show up on time and, um, you know, I, I contribute that they, they should really keep me forever. That was, that, that was the expectation. We just, we don't have that expectation at all. Like, so, uh, what I think is one thing I think is interesting that's happened in the past couple of years though, hmm. is that where our, so our parents' generation, they would have gotten really resentful and angry if they got laid off because they had the expectation that their company would keep them forever. Yeah. But what's happened in the past couple of years is, is um, we, our generation, doesn't have that expectation, but we've taken it another level where uh, companies, basically, they don't bring on employees, they rent them. You know, there, there's no expectation that they're going to be there forever. They bring people on and they let them go. Well, I think what's happened now is that employees are renting jobs. So they, so uh, it's no longer, no longer do we feel like we have loyalty to the companies we work for. It's just we're there um, and we're, we're providing something to them. They're providing something to us. But I have no expectation anymore that this is going to last forever. And I think it is uh, making the relationship between employees and employers much more healthy because we both understand, hey, we're just we're both getting something out of this, but it's not going to last forever. It's a lot more realistic. (laughs) I think in a good way. Um, I think that there's opportunity for people that that's what they've been exposed to. When you hear that, I think that that sounds bad initially because if that's all you know, then it sounds so different of an outlook. However, I really think that you're right. I think long-term that does create a much healthier exchange. Yeah. And there's no disappointment. You know, Hey, if you let me go, fine. Yeah. Cause <laughs> I'm going to leave. I'll leave at some point anyway. Yeah. You know, well, and it, everybody's going to leave anyway. Like everybody's going to die. So like it's going to happen. And, 
tell me you don't, tell me you haven't seen this. Don't you see people, especially in their tw- people in their twenties and early thirties, they're leaving jobs much faster than they used to. Yeah, and I forget exactly what I used to know all the stats and everything, and I don't know. I was probably way too proud that I knew the stats or whatever. But, <laughs> uh, but I used to work in HR for a lot of years, so it would come uh-huh. up. But yeah, it's uh, it, it was almost cut in half from like uh, average of seven years down to like three point four five years or something like that. I'm probably making up those numbers, but yeah, uh, it was. But I, yeah, and, and I've just seen it personally amongst some friends where I literally just see them, they, they go work for this company and it's like they're the reason they're going to work for this company is to learn something. Mm-hmm. And they're there a year, they're there 16 months and then they go somewhere else. And which is they, actually really, really cool. And really, honestly, it is probably, it's probably a bit more productive way because it forces organizations to be able to onboard and, and whatever quicker and get you the stuff that you need to know in order to do this task, this set of jobs, this response, but whatever it happens to be. So overall, I think there's less waste. Yeah. And companies get the benefit of people coming in with fresh perspectives. Yeah. yeah. Um, so my, my current book is called Unworking. I actually did have the idea of my next book would be called Rent a Job. <laughs> um, but um but I've, I've kind of gone away from that and have another, um, uh, idea for my next book. But, um, I, I do think that there's something there for someone who really wants to explore it in terms of what's, how, how the workplace is changing and how the relationship between employees and employers is changing. Well, that is really, really cool. And we'll probably have to, when you get that next book on and everything like that, we'll have to have you back and we can have another conversation about that. You're welcome on anytime, but, uh, I just realized that uh, an hour has flown by here and (laughs) I still have one more question that I want to ask really, really quick before we go, but I also want to be respectful of your time here. Um, You've done a bit of travel. And so my wife and I, we've got three little kids. How old are your kids, by the way, now? Eight, six, and two. Eight, six, and two. Okay. So ours are eight, six, and five. Okay. So we're, we're pretty close, but, um, so we're getting ready to do one, two, three different trips, I think this year. Mm-hmm. Um, what advice would you give me traveling with kids? Because it's going to, for us, like I'm still going to be working too. And right. my, my wife works in our business and everything like right. that. So I, I'm curious from, from somebody who's been there, done this, what, what, what advice would you give? And what would I, uh, what did you, not expect to happen. I guess. Um, just travel slow, you know, um, travel slow. Don't, don't move a lot. Go one place. Don't, you know, when you were single or it was just you and your wife traveling, you would have packed tons of stuff into a, an itinerary, yeah. cut your, ten, cut your itinerary by about three quarters, <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay. and, and just slow down. And, um, the kid, kids move at a much slower pace and it doing that allow gives you a different experience too. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden you linger and spend more times in places um than you would have if you would have been by yourself or with just you and your wife. Um but traveling with kids is amazing. It, I think it opens up, you know, um a different world. People react to you in a different way. And I don't know where you're traveling in Thailand and and Central America. Kids people respond to kids so warmly. And they're so happy to see them. Oh, interesting. Um, I also think that well, our daughter was one when we were in uh, Thailand, 
And, you know, I think that like Thai people see, may, they maybe see a lot of uh, Caucasian 20 uh, somethings and 30 somethings who are traveling over there. But I don't think they see a lot of one year old, mm. blonde hair, blue eye yeah. babies. And so people were just always, always, you know, wanting to interact with us. And um, it is amazing, you know, uh, the doors that kids open up for you and, and playing, you know. So, like, you're, you're maybe in a park and you wouldn't talk to anyone who's around you. But, like, your kids are playing with the other kids. Yeah. And so now you're talking to the parents, you know. So, um, or kids, t- kids talk to everyone, you know. So all of a sudden, um, it opens up a lot of doors for you. It gives you a different travel experience. That is awesome. I didn't think about some of that stuff. I'm way excited for it. We're uh, part of it will be in the U.S. Part of it will be in Portugal, uh, France, and then a few other areas too. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, have a great time. Oh, we absolutely will. Hey, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for uh, making the time. Thank you for sending me a copy of your book too. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Yeah. And Hey, so the book is unworking exit the rat race and live like a millionaire and be happy now rather than later. Yep. So go check it out, get it. I've read about uh, roughly half of it and it's been a great book so far. So I'm assuming making the assumption the other half is just as good as the, the first half. I've heard the second half is even better. Oh, there you go. <laughs> where, if people are interested in connecting up with you, Clark, where can they, where can they do that? How can they do that? How can they sure. get to more Clark? Um, well, uh, you can go to unworkingbook.com, um, or you can also just find the book on Amazon. Just search Unworking on Amazon. But I also have a, a travel and lifestyle design blog called uh, Family Trek. It's familytrek.org. Um, or find me on Twitter, at Clark Vand. Um, uh, I'm around the interwebs. <laughs> Places on the interwebs. You will find him. <laughs> All right. Go check it out. And by the way, you know already that you can go over to happentoyourcareer.com and find all of the episode notes and show notes. We'll put all the stuff that we've talked about here. We'll link it up. Uh, we'll put those resources. Go check it out. Thanks so much. Hey, I hope that you really enjoyed that conversation with Clark. And if you want to figure out what it would be like to live life on the terms that you define, not what somebody else defines for you, and what that would mean for your family, then part of finding the work you love is defining what you want in a lifestyle first, and then aligning the work with the life you design. So we we can help you with that. Here's what I want you to do. If you haven't already, I want you to go over to... I want you to go over to figureitout.co. That's figureitout.co. Or you can simply text HTYC, that's HTYC, to 38470. That's HTYC to 38470. Stop, text us now, and we'll get you, we'll get you into our free eight-day video course that guides you through the process that we use. I think you're going to love it. Okay. So I also want you to, I also want you to get a quick taste of what we've got coming up next week for you on the Happen to Your Career podcast. This is an amazing conversation with uh, a woman named Anna who 
very much uh, decided that what she was doing was was the opposite of what uh, what she should be doing. She very much decided that <laughs> what she was doing over here on the side uh, absolutely fit her so much better as she got a taste of that. And as her life uh, life evolved, she started realizing that that you know that's that's exactly what she wanted and shifted her life over over a very short period of time in my opinion to what she really wanted to be doing you're going to get to hear that and more but take a take a listen right now and i kind of had this school project and one of the one of my tasks on our team project was to look at blogs and so i started investigating like all of these other bloggers out there and i started getting a little obsessed and was like you know, following these people and I was like reading all these posts and I was like, they're doing this. I could do something like this. I would love to do something like this. When I switched my mindset to really like my blog is not my business. I cut back on my blogging like, you know, I did maybe once a week and, and spent the time on um, really growing my courses, figuring out some strategies for actually getting clients, bringing income. I did some individual work. That was really the hardest part is, is letting go of something I really enjoyed, which was the blogging and really focusing instead on the hard part, the not fun part, the numbers, your, your spreadsheets. You know, I'd, I'd gotten away from finance and spreadsheets. I didn't want to go back to them. Uh, I love doing the courses and the training, but I knew I needed to do the one-on-ones, the individuals to really get my income up enough to be able to quit. Hey, we'll see y'all next time on the Happen to Your Career podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe to our episodes. Get them in your sleep on whatever type of podcast player that you use, iTunes, Stitcher, any anything else, and just hit that subscribe button. That way they show up without you having to do anything or spend any amount of time at all. They're just right there, ready and waiting. Next time, we'll see you later next week. Adios. Okay, how's that? Is that no? That's actually worse for some reason. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> not sure why. I have no idea why it's not showing. Oh, that's weird. When you turn a certain like when you turn your head a certain way. Oh, maybe that's not it. Maybe that's just coincidental. Huh. Weird. It was like uh it seemed like every time you turned your head to your left, then there was like a high amount of static. Hmm. Yeah, it's done. Oh, never mind. Hang on one huh. second. How's that? That actually sounds awesome. Okay. What did you do? <laughs> well, it, it's just these aren't working for some reason, so I just went with the very basic, you know, your standard headphones that come with your iPhone. And we are off. Okay. Thank you, sir. Really, really appreciate go? it. Really good. Really good. Uh, actually, really, really good. Except for I'm going to cough here. Just a second. <laughs> Other than I've been holding that in for a while, <laughs> yeah. I think it went excellent. Excellent.